0: I'm singing my sorrow I'm singing my rage I'm singing this fear out And I'll sing it over and over again
1: Welcome to Change Making Women The podcast for women who make a difference With Siada Bade in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania And Marianne Clements in London, in the UK Okay, so hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Changemaking Making Women. I'm here as usual with Ziada, um in Dar es Salaam. How are you doing Ziada?
2: Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. How is everyone? How are good. you Marianne? I'm How is Jennifer? Good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. It's really blazing hot here, which is a bit unusual for London um Okay. Yeah, but otherwise I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> mm, uh, I know a lot. A lot has been happening in London. Yeah, yeah. very s- sad events. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've had a bit. Of, we've had, yeah. We've not had the best of months. I should say. Mm, yeah, mm, and there was another horrible incident this morning. So, but people are okay. doing their business as usually. The fact they're all on the street corners. I came home tonight, or on the corners of bars and cafes and stuff, because it's blazing hot and no one wants to yeah. go inside. <laughs> so, so anyway look I want to introduce you to Jennifer Lentfer and she's our guest today. I'm really excited to be talking to her she's the director of communications for an organization called Thousand Currents and she's also creator of a blog called How Matters so Jennifer welcome to the show I'm so pleased to be with you both yeah Thank you for it's great it's great to have you um it'd be good to hear where you are and maybe a little bit more about um the things that you do just to situate you for our for our listeners
0: sure absolutely i'm i'm calling in from hot washington dc Mm -hmm. and uh we also have many things happening here (laughs) too many to handle yeah um which you know it's really interesting these days to kind of the 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 borders are very shallow right all of these things are happening to everyone in many places and it's a great time for solidarity on a global level um Mm. and i i just want to take that as the opportunity that it is Mm, (laughs) and and have have our conversation today even be in the spirit
1: of that so tell us something about a thousand currents because people might not have heard of it and also about what you do and how matters just so we we, we get the feet <laughs> Yeah, well,
0: I, I'm, I'm so pleased to work for Thousand Currents. Uh, we were formerly IDEX, was the International Development Exchange, but we recently rebranded, um, mostly because we just don't really see that international development and the way it's been defined over these past few decades is really what we do. We are a small grant maker. We fund grassroots organizations and movements that are working on food sovereignty, alternative economies, and climate justice. And these groups are led by women and indigenous peoples and, and youth, um, and LGBTQ people, and people on the margins, that to us are really the people who are changing the world right now. So, mm-hmm. um, and that is a bigger effort than a project that gets funded by a donor that is on another, Continent, right? Mm -hmm. So we wanted to just have a name that really expressed the fact that movements are coming together all over the world, and we are on the change. That's why we're getting, you know, so much pushback is because we are literally um, on the verge of social transformation at all ways and times, and at all levels. So that's where we want to position ourselves in the world, and yeah, we try to make global philanthropy. Um, more responsive, um, more progressive,
2: <laughs> and mm-hmm.
0: to realize the power uh, that is not necessarily tied to existing economic systems um, is a power we can all invest in, and that community power and that um, collective power that we all have is 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 the most exciting input of the day so that's what we try to do. We try to actually influence other philanthropists as well as make our own grants. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the thousand currents, I like I like the
1: sound of it. where did that idea come from? Just because it's sort of mm-hmm. ringing really me. <laughs>
0: yeah. it? Well, it was really we worked with a, a firm to kind of rename ourselves a creative design firm. Mm. And and we we were going down the food route because at the time we were really focused on food. And, and food justice and, um, and, and and somewhere along the line though, we, we love though what we loved about food is that it brought everybody together, mm. right? So like, how, what are the other things? Um, and at some point we turned to nature instead. Um, that was a really exciting moment and then Thousand Currents really came from that. Mm. Now, we don't do anything without consulting our grassroots partners as well and so, we had the ability to go to them and say, what does this mean to you? Do you and everyone said, oh, we're all, we're all a current of change. Mm. So it, it really kind of meshed together at the last. And we all, what's amazing for me as a, as a creative person in the organization is that it keeps giving life, right? There's all these iterations and expressions.
1: Mm, I love it. It's, I love it as a name. Yeah. It's really, yeah, feels really sort of, vibrant and yeah and moving
0: and really i mean our lives are affected by currents every day every single person has weather wind water currents affecting us
2: yeah absolutely
0: and just the same we have social movements that are affecting our lives so let's let's draw the comparison and it's interesting because it reminds me of something that i
1: um uh saw in your book that we want to come on to talk about but uh, you were talking about um and it's an idea i was thinking about the last few weeks a lot myself of of certainty like things not being certain mm-hmm. and not and not being static you know and it right. it reflects that in the name which is really neat <laughs>
0: great well we, I, we we're still at the new phase where we love to hear feedback so that's great <laughs> yeah uh, and I, I've been at Thousand Currents for, for about two years. I've known folks there for maybe 10 years. Mm. It really was just a wonderful moment of coming together. Um, Thousand Currents staff had been contributors to Smart Risks, the book. They had been long avid followers of my blog, howmatters.org. So it was just a wonderful coming together of like minds, and it's, a, it's, a, it's been a really uh, been a pleasure. Mm.
2: Uh, talk to us about. Uh, this book it's it's quite interesting how how did you get together you know how did it come together how Mm -hmm. did the book come to light
0: yeah thanks i i think it's a that in and of itself is a really fun story so but it actually starts with with even me i'll i'll say so i i grew up in a small town in rural nebraska in the middle of the united states and When I say rural, I mean less than 300 people. There were 16 people in my graduating class of high school. My family were farmers. You know, um, very much that's how I grew up. And so when I started um, thinking about what I wanted to do as a career or a life choice, I knew I would go abroad. I wanted to get away as much as possible. But what I realized sooner than later. was that international aid and philanthropy, the way it's been conceived, um, didn't really fit with my idea of how rural people organize themselves. So mm-hmm. as we as I was working for a large international NGO and here we were in our big, beautiful, new Toyota Hilux, right, with our mm-hmm. wonderful logo emblazoned on the side and we would ar- arrive to the community and I just thought, wow, my community is actually quite dying um, in rural America. And we have a lot of problems. What would happen if someone was doing this with us? Mm-hmm. And I know it would happen. We would gather at the community hall or the community center, right? We would be very polite to them because of course that's how you, how you are. Mm-hmm. And we would listen and we would go back to our lives. I mean, that's just the reality because the idea of someone coming in and promising this, your life can change tomorrow and you just have to do these things, and um, we're going to help you. Um, it sounds too good to be true. And I mean, after having lived in Africa uh, on the African continent for many years, you see the fatigue of this, right? Yeah. With regular everyday people, there's been a lot of promises made over the last century, um, and 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 really, we have to acknowledge the fact that there is a a background to international aid and philanthropy that is rooted in colonialism, capitalism, and exploitation yeah. um, and inequality, essentially. And unless we address some of those root causes of inequality and poverty, we're not getting very far, <laughs> yeah. right? So, so here's this thing, there's this, but yet at the same time, I also really believe in the power of communities coming together Mm. right to take a change change and and to lead change um and I really believe in positive peer pressure and I believe (laughs) in community leaders and you know so there was always tension for me I worked in international aid for a while and and I just thought wow okay I'm supposed to be the technical advisor I'm supposed to be responsible for measuring these at 160 indicators to report to the big bilateral donor, whether that be USAID or DFID or, you know, the World Bank or the Gates Foundation. And that to me is not the engine of change, mm-hmm. right? It's not the projects. It's not the programs. It's the people. Yeah. So, um, so smart risks came about at a moment when um, I had worked for another foundation, a small family foundation. I had made the transition to philanthropy, and philanthropy was fundamentally doing the same things—moving money. Yeah. But smaller foundations were able to take more quote-unquote risks. They could invest in grassroots leaders. They could, um, you know, take a new idea and say, "Oh, let's see if that works. So let's put invest a little funds in it." Um, and, I, and I, it really appealed to me because I remember when I first started working for um, one of the international NGOs, we had the ability to make small grants, $500 at a time. And the nun could come in and make a one-page application and get money the next day. And my colleagues just thought, wow, this was so much fun. It was sometimes the most impactful work we, do, we did. And the reason this work is impactful is because communities have a tremendous amount of ingenuity when the initiative is theirs, right? We, I mean, this is sort of sort of obvious, and yet it wasn't happening when it comes to more formalized modes of international aid. So we were really, for me, as we were working, um, I I was renewed as I worked for this foundation because I realized. That we could invest in the self-determination and the innovation and the volunteerism that existed in communities. Um, community groups are just able to generate such, such tremendous results when given a chance. So this was really in contrast to what you know I say is sort of um, funder-controlled, large-scale international funding. Uh, that that model's over. Yeah. And, and the truth of the matter is, those big players that I mentioned, DFID and World Bank and Gates, okay, so they know that, and yet there's, it's very hard to find alternatives because institutions have now been created around these modalities. Yeah. Um, so, so when I left that foundation in 2010, uh, I think it was 2011 that uh, I put together a writers' collective because what had happened is all these international small grant makers. We're finding each other on my blog, How Matters, because I was writing about the power of small grants and the power of communities and the power of uh, expats and internationals and outsiders getting out of the way and letting people do what they want to do. And and it was really interesting. Out of that writing collective, we just started. We just realized that a lot of smaller foundations who were doing this work in this way. were making quote-unquote smart risks in community groups were Mm small-staffed you know they they didn't have massive budgets they weren't being asked to the big table to make decisions about international funding flows Uh, they were rather just doing this on a person-to-person basis Um, but we we realized there's so much power in putting those experiences and that expertise together So through that writing collective, we realized at some point we woke up and said, "Hey, we've got enough for a book here," Hmm. and that's sort of what happened. So we switched and started writing book proposals, and and in fact got a publisher, and and then went back and kept editing the essays. So it was it's been a labor of love. It's a great first book to have been a part of because my co-editor Tanya Catherine and I. You know, I was never alone. (laughs) The writing process was joyous Mm. and always involved wonderful colleagues, and it was
1: a lot of fun. (laughs) And it came out recently, right, Jennifer? Just, just last month. Yeah. Yeah. And um, what's available on Amazon? Yeah, you. I think we should say Amazon and a few other places, right?
0: Yeah. um, Practical Action Publishing in the UK Mm -hmm. and Stylist Publishing in the US. Cool.
1: Yeah. Hey, I've, I do have a copy, and i haven 't read it cover to cover, but I have read quite a few of the articles in there and i think it 's a really interesting read and i 'm interested to hear though how it how it 's been received so far and and, and mm. maybe a bit about like you 've talked about what 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 smart risk speaks to around kind of um, grant, a grant people who are granting and mm. In small amounts that that maybe seem risky, but maybe actually are the smartest things to do and are making the biggest difference, but um there's a bit more to the book than that, isn't there? so yeah, mm. how's it been received and, and what would you say um, is the kind of key message of the book beyond
0: beyond that <laughs> yeah, oh, that's a good question you know it, you're I was a bit nervous before it came out, mm. one because it started so many years ago, ago. yeah. And two, because I've worked for those big institutions yeah. and we didn't want to come off so critical of them that we couldn't be heard, yeah, right? So what, hap- what, and this is something that I write about a lot on How Matters is that all of us who want to make the world a better place, the topic of your podcast, mm. uh, we have to wrestle with and reckon with the fact that our own deepest desires and psyches and motivations are at play when we do this, right? So when 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 you say, "Oh, you're not being effective enough in your do gooder endeavor," mm-hmm. <laughs> you get a lot of pushback. You really do, because people have the best intentions. Yeah, um, and you have to confront your own biases and isms and um, prejudices if you want to really be effective um, going forward. And 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 so, we wanted to write a truthful book at the same time we wanted to offer alternatives so a lot of the time you know when you're thinking about smart risks and invest and that is really you know investing relatively small amounts of money into visionary leaders at the at the community level um, it's it's maybe small small to that organization and And so as a result, one of the things you hear sometimes when it comes to small grants is, well, it costs me as much to make a $500 grant as it does to make a $500,000 grant. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's true. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I actually think um, there's something called opportunity costs, and you lose a lot more when you're coming in with big, big projects. That haven't consulted and, and and so where's the real risk there is it the risk of um you know not having an effective outcome like what's that that to me that's a much bigger risk mm. when you haven't invested in what's already existing on the ground and you're trying to create something new um to me that's a much riskier endeavor but yeah um we all get to have a different perspective on it. Yeah. And it is a commonly held kind of belief, isn't it? And that I've, you know,
1: just to sort of put it out there that I've worked in some of these organizations too. And I've also, similarly to you, I um, see in some ways have quite a similar story and have kind of moved from working in organizations to working for grant makers or the freelance basis as I do my other work. And, um, yeah, there is, that attitude is definitely out there, like mm. we can't afford to make smaller grants or we don't have the capacity to manage them, right? So um, we'll have to make bigger grants to somebody else who can maybe make smaller grants further down the line. That's the kind of, it's a mm. widely held assumption in international development, isn't it?
0: Right. It is. Um, and it's based on wanting to minimize risk, right? Yeah. So it's the idea, but but that's still... That means you're still holding on to the money as yours. Yeah, exactly. And that's where we get into trouble. That's when we're up against power and privilege and racism. Yeah. And we've got to confront that head on. Hi, it's
1: Marianne here. And I wanted to tell you about Jijaze, the community I founded for women who want to make a real difference in the world, but do so without totally depleting themselves. In our community, we have resources to help and support you, discussions to inspire you, and loads of information about how really taking care of yourself is an important part of making change happen in the world. You can find out more about how to join us by going to www.jijaze.com. That's J-I-J-A-Z-E. If you click on Join Us, you can jump straight to the info about how to join. We're so looking forward to
0: welcoming you to our community. You know, there's a growing awareness within international aid and philanthropy that um, is the human resources to address these kind of big global issues are always going to be found at the local level, you know, you be part of the change. So as that awareness has come forward, um, it's, it's helping everybody to see, you know, let's have some conversations that might be hard because if, what's the model of charity that's sort of been created, Western, Christian, white-centric way of looking at the world is to say, okay, there's a problem. What's the intervention? What's the thing that's needed? And, and, and the answer has often been outsider expertise. Absolutely. Flip that around. What if communities can be um, to take their own initiatives and their own resources mm. and we augment that, we unleash that potential, we've replaced or decimated that potential? Mm. Because we 've come in with the idea and the project, the, there's a tremendous potential to turn that around, but the, but the big barrier is ourselves how do, how do we as outsiders mm. to the community get out of the way? How do we confront our own um, blockages, emotional blockages to that and, and ask hard questions of ourselves? because what happens is it is a power, it's a power relationship if you're the one bringing the, the resources to the table uh, and so that was part of the reason we also wanted to write the book. We wanted to say. You know, there's, there's other ways you mm. can do this. And guess what, it'll never be perfect. Because <laughs> you can't erase, you know, the impact of uh, being more responsive. You can get out of the way, you can listen better. Mm. Um, so I wanted to have real life examples of, of people that do consider themselves mm. outside to a community doing just right. that. It so is I would
2: ask again, maybe, you know, in writing this book, uh, who, who mm. is your target book to reach?
0: Yeah, we, we really wrote it with two audiences in mind, and and in, in general, it's for people mm-hmm. that want to make a difference, out, out even, okay. and that might be even the neighborhood down the street, so you might be also doing work in your own community and still be an outsider, mm-hmm. right, because we have all these intersectionalities and identities, um, but ultimately, we want people who really do care about making a difference to think about how best should they bring to the table, um, what are some uh, drawbacks. Yeah. Just explore that a little bit. So we we thought of donors and impact investors and all of those who consider themselves part of the formal or informal do gooder industry. Mm. And it is an industry about Absolutely, the church yeah. ladies who created a little donor circle and is now supporting mm. the school in rural Indonesia. Let's say have ways to think about. Well, oh, well, we don't have to make the same okay. mistakes. Wonderful about our endeavor because I, do, I never want to lose. The fact that the instinct to help is a beautiful, right, it, it, the instinct is good.
2: Uh-huh.
0: It, it gets in the details where it gets, <laughs> goes the wrong way. Sure the sure some of the stories at least, at least were written for the well-intentioned do-gooders that maybe just don't have a lot of exposure, though, trying to make it in their small way.
2: Mm. Okay, that's quite, quite, quite interesting. Um, and for instance, what are the, some of the challenges that mm. you face? I know that just, these are all stories um, that experiences as well, you know, you put everything together, you know, for people to, to read, but. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I must say that with my co-editor, Tanya Catherine, I was blessed. Her, <laughs> she made sure all the authors were working, you know. Um, I, so that chained two people together to create something together. Um, she really held that piece of it and that was really beautiful. Um, I think one of our challenges that I will continue to grapple with as a communicator is how to tell stories in ways that wider and wider groups of people can Mm. be interested and can access. A lot of us have been overeducated and trained to write quite academically. And storytelling is very different than an academic endeavor. So Mm. a lot of the essays had to be transformed. We had to really try to pull the story out of it because the reason someone wanted to write the essay was because something significant had happened. They had had Mm -hmm. a deep insight or a deep moment of humility and they wanted to share that story, but often it would come out as very, um, dry. (laughs) Yeah. Um, We really Mm -hmm. had to massage and work with each of the, the authors to bring out the story. But I hope, at the end of the day, the result is good and, and people can, it can be a good read, um, for a lot of people.
1: I wanted to, um, ask you, I, so I don't know where you were, but I'm just going to try anyway. So Jennifer, I wanted to ask, like, so with all, with all the, um, all all the experience that you, the experiences that you've collected together in the book, what's your hope that the book will achieve? Mm. Like, what's your vision for it?
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it's a wonderful question. Um, you know, ultimately, I I beg of people who read the book to become more intentional, mm-hmm. um, to be more thoughtful in the kinds of work that they do, whether of any sort, whether that be, you know, um, working in your local community or making them big, you know, investment, either one, that, that really, though, you try to kind of foster deeper connections with people and those working on the ground, you know, really that it's um, to be patient in order to be responsive. And, you know, ultimately I want to build wider support for direct support to grassroots organizations because I believe in them as the catalysts for social change. Yeah, I really don't think anything in history has been accomplished without community organizing and without grassroots mobilization. And if you look throughout history, even though history was written by the victors, there's still evidence that there was uprisings of people who said no more or yes to us. And, and that's, that's the kind of thing I want us to be able to look back on any do gooder endeavor, and say, in the course of history, will we know that we were on the right side? Mm.
2: That's,
0: re- that, that's really, I- I'm asking us to really return to our moral imperative. Um, and I'm asking us to also bring uh, ourselves to the work and our spirituality and um, our connection to each other to put that at the center because we really are trying to recreate the world. So I, I just don't want us to kind of get into rote routines and do things because it's always been done that way. I want us to deeply question ourselves and each other. Um, and I want more people to be at the decision-making table that don't look like me. That's yeah. that's the ultimate goal. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I, oh, I, so, I so think that that's potent stuff for, um, people particularly people working in international development and like many people that I know in that context who have a sense of frustration around you Mm. know what they're actually doing compared to maybe the 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 passion and commitment to creating a better world really that that brought them there I think it's really um potent stuff Jennifer and then I want to ask another question Mm. (laughs) and that's Say I'm, um, maybe I'm working in, a, in one of the larger organisations or funders right now, or I'm someone with some money to give. What's your advice to me as to how I can kind of take that on board? Like, what practical mm-hmm. things might I do? And obviously there are, there are probably many, many, many things that we could talk between us for hours about, things people could do. But, like, can you give a few pointers?
0: Yeah. Oh, that's a great a great and important question because I, I I often am part of conversations where we're criticizing the do gooder industry. Mm, and, me yet, too. and there's not <laughs> a lot of there's not a lot of alternatives and and so right. and I, I remember watching a documentary recently and and someone in the audience got up and even said, "I give forty dollars a month to such and such NGO. Am I supposed to not give it anymore?" Mm. And he was was sort of so frustrated because there wasn't a path laid out. Um, I I think for any individual, um, whether you're in an institution or starting your own thing or part of a a, a collective little group, um, the first thing I want you to do is to really say who has the power right now, Mm -hmm. right? So do we have the power because we're giving a grant? Um, and then the next question is where else does power exist? Because power doesn't always have to look like money and power can also look like, um, really wonderful things like, uh, leadership and experience and wisdom. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think, and it's uncomfortable. I mean, that, that as the first step is super uncomfortable. So I do want to acknowledge that. I think when you're a junior level person and you think about, you I mean, you want me to ask my boss to like give up their, <laughs> their, their position or whatever. Um, in, in the case of someone who is junior, maybe working at an international donor or NGO, um, it is though about asking sometimes very scary and provocative questions yeah. and to get really good at asking them in ways that like we said are not confrontational, but that say, hey, what about something else? Um, Hey, we could do it this way instead. Um, And then being, you know, refusing to sort of be unsatisfied when you don't get that answer and to just continue, you know, like this is a long, if you signed up to fight poverty, this is a long game. Absolutely. (laughs) So to be frustrated because that one idea you had doesn't get like embraced is 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 not the kind of skill set you're going to need to stay with us and I want I want you to stay with us I want more people involved in this not less Um, yeah and and then I think you know for someone who's a who's a who does donate in small ways or volunteers in small ways it's really to ask yourself the question of the organizations you support you know how much are they putting people at the center of everything and 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 just continue you know so you're still asking power questions but uh, i often tell people like make sure that uh, that there's not just an evaluation of the program um but that when it comes to how the program was even designed that the consultations were genuine and that, those are hard questions to ask but just by asking them you are creating change in that organization because you're saying hey i'm I'm one of the people who supports you, and this is what I care about. Um, yeah. Until the funding systems change, the donors are actually going to have the most power. <laughs> so yeah. you, you can be hugely influential even as a small donor to a large organization.
1: Yeah. And in fact, what a lot of larger organisations are too, in my opinion, worried about is, in fact, what their donors think. Yeah. So I, as a donor, there is potentially power that you, you might have that, you, that you don't ne- you're not necessarily aware of. And I think that's interesting, you know, because mm. what a lot of organisations are worried about is <laughs> where's the money going to come from to carry on doing the work that they want to do. So, yeah, yeah I definitely think that that's there I love your questions I love that the idea of asking who has the power here in the in the context of giving as well as in the context of of kind of what to you know what whatever might be happening in a particular context Mm -hmm. it's great we've Mm -hmm. talked quite a lot about the need for international development to be radically different or perhaps not to be what that at all anymore and I share those sentiments ha- have shared those sentiments quite a lot over the years and I'm interested Jennifer to ask you um like what future do you see do you see a future for international mm. development and 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 how will it be different or how would you like it to be different from what it
0: yeah. is now? well I do think that the world is changing so fast and at a pace that not any generation up until now fully recognizes yeah. is the fact that there is going to be a lot of uncertainty. And, and so institutions themselves, whether they be governmental or civil society, um, even businesses will have to change on a dime and be really agile. It's just my favorite word. I think it's one of those jargony words too. But to be <laughs> flexible and responsive is, is the most important Piece, yeah. um, and I, I think that means decentralizing decision making, and yeah, and and I just I think we need a lot of imagination to figure out how that's going to happen, because you know a hierarchical system is what we're used to, all of us. I mean the whole world over, we're all used to, you know, the boss and the and the structures that go beneath them, um, and so what does it really mean to have a shared decision in which everybody has an equal um, stake and an equal say is is something that uh, even at our own organization of thousand currents we're always trying to challenge ourselves to, to think differently about that as well um, it's it's not easy it takes more consultation it takes um, potentially more time it's not as it's yeah. not as efficient and yet <laughs> and yet we know that it's the one thing that will actually make an institution um, be able, you know, how they build buildings in Japan with springs because they know at, at the base, at the foundation, because of the frequency of earthquake. We've got to figure out how to build our foundational springs into our institutions, mm. whether, you know, in, in in any form. So I'm I'm just hoping that that's what we kind of spend our time thinking about and imagining for the future. Yeah,
1: and there's a. I I love that. And I think it's so true, but I, and I think what it requires, like this, just my two pennies worth now is that like, we recognize that it's relationships that will change the world and what we do with them. And, and yeah, there are things related to that, but that, that the, the if the relationships aren't solid and they're not equitable and they're not just, Mm. and if our, you know, so our, if our foundation within our organization isn't, one of of treating each other with respect and and treating people we work with with respect and and all of that that could mean which is deep <laughs> yeah then really what are we
0: up to <laughs> it's kind of well, my thing to, that's exactly <laughs> I mean, and really you're describing a feminine model of leadership yeah you know, we have to put step into visions of power because we do things differently and because that's what the world needs right now. Yeah. The world needs balance. <laughs> and it really does because we are imbalanced right now. We have um, the one percenters that just continue to amass more, and we have more and more children hungry. Yeah. we're splitting we're splitting ourselves so i just feel like that that message of how we treat each other how we how we endeavor within the micro is the summation of that makes the macro is more important than ever um yeah. so yeah i think i want women change makers who are listening to this to really be unapologetic as they step into that leadership Um, And Mm -hmm. to not assume that the way we have been taught to lead is the way that's actually good for everybody. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. We Mm -hmm. have
0: to, we have to unlearn some things that we've all experienced under, you know, masculine leadership and, Mm -hmm. and it is not about competition. It is not about, um, you know, amassing resources it's, it's about facilitation and relationship and um, what's possible when we all are on the same page because that's where the fun stuff happens, <laughs> let alone the life-changing stuff, you know. Um, yeah, and I think as women, we're, 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 our, one of our superpowers is creating space for that solidarity to emerge and for our truest selves to emerge and our truths to emerge Because we've all been, uh, we've all learned to function in in dysfunctional systems. So that means all of us are carrying a certain amount of baggage and trauma. And we've got to, as women, what I love is that we can make space for that for each other. And yet still get a lot of S-H-I-T done. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. absolutely 100% yeah.
2: agree with you
1: <laughs> yeah me too I think that's yeah. the, it's a brilliant <laughs> note for us to end on Jennifer thank you so so <laughs> much it. for joining us yeah
2: but before we go one ah. last question this <laughs> we always love asking our guests is so when you're not being a superwoman (laughs) Mm -hmm. and (laughs) and changing you know changing lives um uh, how do you spend your time just relaxing and taking care of yourself
0: oh well uh, i do write in order to process uh, things and that's where i how matters exist so i can work out some things um but i just my father recently said jennifer you need a hobby and (laughs) i agree (laughs) Um, Okay. Especially now that the book's done, I've taken on a bit of gardening this summer. I I I crave, you know, nature will also tell us like it's it's gonna be okay, and look at how we are survivors. And you're just part of this little ecosystem here on this planet.
2: That Mm. really
0: is a great reminder to me. Um, and there's so much interdependent, you need the bees and you need the seeds and the water and everything to be fought, to work together. And, and then maybe you've got a few tomatoes or a few, yeah. you know, sweet potatoes. And that is such a magical thing. So, um, yeah, so I guess that's where I kind of restore, restore my faith and belief in what can happen when all of the magical ingredients get together.
1: Mm. Wow gardening, huh? <laughs> Interesting. I I've been rejecting gardening all my life. My mom yeah my mum my was a great gardener and um she would always want to drag us out in the garden to help her, you know, because it was good for you and you know, yeah. this amazing thing of making things grow. And I was always like, I wanna, you know, I wanna be in my room listening to music and reading books. But just recently, as I approached yeah. like proper middle age <laughs> I've started to get a bit excited about planting a few flowers in my garden. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> so. Um, well, um, I, I um, just you, acknowledge uh, that even saying gardening means <laughs> that I live in a food system where I don't have to grow my own food. Absolutely. I just it, it can be a hobby. It's not that's what right. I rely on for my daily, you know, and so, yeah, even there's privilege in my hobbies. Absolutely, that's
1: how a hundred million percent is, Jennifer. You're so yeah. right.
2: I think one thing that gardening teaches you is to be patient, which mm. I am not, mm-hmm. and that's the reason why I can't garden. <laughs> I want when I garden, I want to see results in the next two to three days which can never be <laughs> it's
0: so true
1: yeah it's yeah. so true and, <laughs> it, yeah no it's so you're so right Jennifer that it's yeah that's something that 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 many 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 women and, and men too that came before us and and live on the planet today where you know mm-hmm. they ha- they garden for their own you know they need the food to eat and um, they have to learn that stuff So it's a real privilege to to be able to access food that other people have grown and made and so that that can become a hobby. And then also maybe we're missing that lesson.
0: (laughs) We're missing that patience. (laughs) And we've also, you know, part of, as Westernization and development happened, we lost that knowledge. So my Mm. grandmother, who bless her, is still alive and in the book as well, talking about Mm -hmm. her tomato cages. Um, yeah i read that earlier <laughs> um, my grandmother knows so much about mm. i mean that that is knowledge that is not gained through a book or formal yep. learning Absolutely, it is one of the most important things to know about how to live and we've yeah. lost that in just a couple generations so i'm i'm also loved that i get to now yeah be on the phone with her and say grandma this is happening and she can tell me what's up and it's yeah. <laughs> so great yeah so
1: maybe you could take up gardening too the other oh my god <laughs>
0: I'm,
2: I'm, I'm honestly i'm yet to do it um, I've tried with a few flowers, but they died. Oh. <laughs> I'll keep trying though. I'm not giving up. Good.
1: Good. <laughs> thank yes. you so
2: much, Jennifer.
1: This was uh, great. It was a great conversation. Yeah. No, it was no great problem. to have you, and thank you so much. And our theme tune over and over was written and performed by Eleanor Brown, who you can find at eleanorbrownmusic.com.